Thank you very much, Kevin. Hey, it's John Hanson, and coming up next, it's Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Neil Gainsburg's here. We're going to talk about a lot of great stuff. Attorney Michael Leonard joining us, too. But in my opinion, it is impossible to be in a bad uh, mood today. I mean, it is gorgeous outside. So I want to keep things light. I want to keep them fun. Yes, we'll cover some legal topics as well. But I want you to call in 312-981-7200, not only with great questions for Neil Gainsburg or attorney Michael Leonard, but we're going to have a little fun here today. So here's what we're going to do. I want the question of the day where everybody can win. I mean, not a prize, but everyone can win a high five from me. What is not a law, but should be? What is one thing you think that you know, we should make a law about that. Have some fun with it. Think a little bit about it. 312-981-7200. Or you can just text in pretty pictures of what you're doing today or call in and let us know what you're doing. I want to keep the good vibes going on this near 80-degree day. We'll get to Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, next on WGN. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We do it every Saturday afternoon. We often do it from 1 to 3, which is where we are on today, and we'll be moving forward. We're going to be 1 to 3 p.m. every Saturday afternoon, unless, of course, there's sports, and we got to move around a little bit, which is always A-OK to me, and uh, Ridian is our producer across the glass. And you, the listener, we want your involvement, too, all day today during the show. If there's something you're confused about, a law story we're talking about with either the guests or one of the stories we mention Give us a call, 312-981-7200. That's what the show is all about. We look at stories from a legal lens, and we try and have a lot of fun along the way, too. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's nearly 80 degrees. Let's have a smile on our face as we uh, listen to WGN, which is always my main goal. We'll get to a couple of top law stories in a bit, but I wanted to ask you, 312-981-7200, what isn't a law that should be? And bonus points if you can have some fun with it, too. I've got one in a moment, but let's go to Mick first. Good afternoon, Mick. You're our first caller today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Big fan. Oh. Uh, trying to keep the smiles smiles going as well. <laughs> um, so I'm out here on my electric bike. You know, it, it, the Chicago's probably one of my favorite biking cities in the country. And mm-hmm. now I'm seeing, you know, the scooters. The, oh, I don't know if you've seen the electric skateboards on one wheel. Yeah. Um, and... and and then, of course, your regular pedestrian bikers. But, um, you know, the, the, we really should be towing these cars out of the bike lane. It's not that hard to see that you're parking in a space where a biker might have to avoid your vehicle and get slammed by another car that's in oncoming traffic. And, you know, bikers at the same place have to be stopping at stop signs. Right, so right. It's not really a, a law suggestion. Just we've got to get better because people are dying out there you're, you know, on these bikes. Yeah, but, you're, you're right about it's a great day for biking. Yeah, and you're right about that, Mick. And I'm glad you said that about the cyclists, too, because I don't want to start a big war between drivers and cyclists on this show. Uh, because, yes, right. cyclists need to follow the laws there, too. But you're right. And I think a lot of people, well-meaning, they're trying to like maybe go in and grab a coffee or something. And they're like, oh, what's the harm if I throw on my blinkers here? Well, there is harm because then you have bikers jutting into the street dangerously or have to. And we have a real crowded space on these roadways. So we need to try and do our best to follow the laws and rules that are already there. But, uh, yeah, I'm fine for a little bit more aggressive ticketing on both ends of it. If it in the interest of making everyone do, uh, do everything a little bit safer. So you're doing a little biking today, Mick. That's what you're doing on this gorgeous day. 
Yep, just got back from the Lake Shore Drive bike path. Oh. It is awesome out there. It is so crowded. I mean, we're <laughs> going to run out of room out there for hey, sure soon. But that's fine. Know, stay safe, everyone, on those two wheels, one wheel, whatever you're doing. <laughs> Amen, Meg. Thanks for the call, okay? Yep, thank you. 312-981-7200. What's not a law that should be in your mind? Not to steal from John Williams, but if you were king for a day, what would you make a law? And mine... Ah, oh boy, I'm going to sound like a cranky old guy, but I uh, this today I noticed, obviously, there's a lot of extra people on the roadways. That's great. Our city's wonderful. It's so nice to see people downtown. Like, today is, like, why we live here, right? <laughs> I don't think we get a, a ton of these days, especially here in April. This is why we live here. This is why we love it. I went golfing this morning. It was so wonderful. Anyways, a lot of drivers downtown, and I think a lot of people accidentally getting on Lower Wacker Drive and the other lower roadways. And bless your heart, the GPS goes out. I know it's tough, but you can't stop in the middle of the road just because you're confused when traffic's trying to zoom by you. So obviously that's already against the law, right? You're not supposed to stop in the middle of the street. But here is my suggestion for a law. I think to be able to drive onto Lakeshore Drive, you should have to pass a test about Lakeshore Drive. You should have to know where the ramps are up and down. You should have to know how to connect yourself from 290 to Lakeshore Drive if you want. I think everyone would benefit from a little course, and then you can't go down there unless you've passed that course. Because it's a great roadway to to sneak around in this city. And it's just one of those things you kind of have to do it. But if you are going to go into Lower Wacker, just keep driving. Stay moving. (laughs) Do not just stop because you're a little confused. I always say find the light, Iridian, right? Because the light means you're going to go back upstairs. Find the light, head to there, and you'll be okay. Let's get a call from Steve. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How's your, are you doing anything fun today, uh, outside related? Oh, I just went out and bought some nice big two-inch ribeyes, and I'm going to be cooking those today, and I'm doing some yard cleanup. Are you grilling outside today? Yes, I oh, am. Oh, yeah, you're speaking my language, Steve. That should be a law. Everyone should have to grill their food today, uh, whether it's meat or whether you're port- whatever you're cooking, portobello mushrooms, get outside and grill. All right, Steve, what's your law? Well, I've been plowing snow for 32 years, and I always seem to back up in the people. And I do believe that we that we have to have somebody uh, yield to uh, the snow plows. Uh-huh. And the biggest thing about that is, like I say, you can't see the people behind you, and we're trying to clear out areas. You back up, they start honking at you, or you run into them, you bend up. and So yield better to snow plows is what you're saying. Uh, just like you would do to school buses, so to speak. We don't need to have the stop signs, but just make sure you keep back. Uh, if you look at all the back of your snow plows, they say keep back a certain footage. Right. Steve, I feel like I should make a law that we're not allowed to talk about winter things when it's going to be 80 degrees, because you're just reminding me that, yes, that's right, we have the flip side I, of it. But I, I understand that. <laughs> I appreciate but it. No, it's done and over with. You're right. Oh. You're right. Exactly. Steve, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Have a great day, okay? You too. Thank you. 312-981-7200. What's not a law but should be? 630 says, I'm a mailman, and every card that blocks a box should pay a fine. I'm for that. And another one is uh, from the 630. I just lost it. Um, Tell you what, I'll get to it after the break here on 720 WGN.
720 WGN, this is Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We're on Saturday afternoons from 1 to 3. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Neil Gainsburg joins us uh, right now from Gainsburg Law. Neil, how are you doing here today? I'm doing great. Beautiful day. Nice to see you, John. Oh, it's always, well, I was going to say it's always good. I, I didn't mean to say it's always good to see me, uh, but I appreciate that. It's always good on a nice Saturday afternoon that we get some good weather. We're talking about laws that aren't laws that should be. 708 suggests it should be a law that all restaurants should confiscate cell phones prior to sitting. How many times do you see a family dining out and all on their cell phones? And I'm someone that says, yeah, that's wrong. And then when I'm sitting with my family, I pull out my phone too because we're just we're so tight to it right now, right? We are addicted to our phones. I we like need to see them every second, pretty have you, much. Have you ever done a thing where everyone puts their phone at the middle of the table and the first person to reach and grab it has to pay the entire bill? I have not done that, but yeah. thanks for the suggestion, yeah, because I, I would, I'd probably be the first one to grab it. That's yeah. why I haven't done it. <laughs> exactly. A lot of other texts coming in on the phone line. 815 says, nothing on earth should be made that can't be recycled safely. A little post-Earth Day uh, a message there from the 815. Good idea. You got one, by the way, for us? Uh, how about this one? If you want to root for a sports team, you like your sports team, you have to be have some connection with the city of the sports team. <laughs> I think something like that. You can't be just joining the bandwagon. You're from Alaska and you want to root for those Saints because they're winning all the time. No, you got to have some connection to New Orleans if you want to be a Saints fan. But like if you're in Alaska, there's no pro sports teams up there. Neil, what are you supposed to do? I guess. Yeah, that's that's the problem with the law. And that's why it will never be a law. But that's something I just thought of. But there are plenty of traffic laws we could talk about as well, because that's what everybody seems to want to talk about when it comes to what what laws we need. What Neil's too polite to say is that I was like, hey, come up with one. And then I just bashed his law immediately after he suggested it. All right, let's pivot to something. And, you know, we're talking about driving a lot. Obviously, everyone's out there. And this is a topic that, you know, it's important. It's serious, of course. But driving under the influence, and I imagine in your world as a lawyer, this is something that comes up a lot, isn't it? Yes. Um, what In my practice, uh, representing people who are injured in accidents, um, talking about accidents, dealing with motor vehicle accidents and collisions, this happens all too often because... Uh, driving under the influence is one of the main causes of motor vehicle collisions. I know we've gotten better at this, right? Like, I think that this was a, I mean, it's still a huge issue, of course, and we're seeing in news stories even this week about what drunken driving can do. Um, we've gotten better at a society recognizing about how dangerous it is, but it is still happening with high frequency, right, Neil? Yes, very high frequency. Uh, it's one of the leading causes of deaths on the highway. I think it, the last statistics from 2019 were that one-third of all um, traffic-related deaths were caused by driving under the influence. It's a major cause of accidents. We've had education since the uh, 80s and 90s. We've had laws that have addressed it, made it more, made more punishments, more serious uh, offenses for this. And so it's still out there. There's still other things that could be done, and the laws are still trying to address what can be done to make the road safer and, and less drunk drivers? If some of your clients are were injured in a crash caused by a drunk driver or their families of, unfortunately, people that have passed away, um, are there extra things or punishments? I know criminally there are extra punishments for driving under the influence, but as someone who may be going, you know, looking for punitive, you know, measures, financial, uh, you know, punishments. Does someone who's driving under the influence end up paying more to people because of their injuries, not just because of an accident, but because of the driving under the influence? 
in theory, it is possible. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody who does drive under the influence and injures other people can be liable for what we call punitive damages because it's considered sort of a reckless conduct. It's not just a negligent or mm-hmm. mistake in a regular traffic accident without drinking, but actually recklessness by going uh, going behind the wheel under the influence. But in practicality, most lawyers will go after the insurance only. And once they get whatever insurance is available, that often will be sufficient damages for the injured victims. And if the insurance is not sufficient, it's, it's very rare that they go after individual people because it's, it's difficult to file suits and go after individuals. A lot of these people don't have collectible assets or it could take years and years and a lot of work and time and expense to try to collect assets from people if the insurance does not pay for all the damages. Let me make sure I understand correctly. So like if um, a client of yours injured in an accident caused by a drunk driver, it would go through a similar process as whether the driver was drunk or not, they would go through their insurance. You know, they're obviously at fault and, and try and collect the damages through that person's insurance. Uh, there's not like this extra measure where they sue that person individually for what has happened. Exactly. So you would start out in any sort of case like that by looking at the um, offending drunk driver's insurance to see if there is sufficient insurance. Number one, if there is insurance. Number two, if there's sufficient insurance to cover the damages that that driver caused. And if there is sufficient insurance, the best way is just to go through the insurance because that is actual fungible money that could be obtained right away as opposed to going after an individual where you have to get a judgment against that individual. You have to go to court and judgments can take a long time. And then you have to collect if you do get a judgment. A judgment's just something on paper mm-hmm. that says that X person owes Y person a, a sum of money. It doesn't mean they have to pay it right away. Right. You have to actually go out and collect that money against individuals. That's why we all have insurance. That's why there's mandatory insurance laws, because people do stuff crazy while they're driving, whether they're speeding too fast, making a proper turn, or drunk driving. We want to make sure there's insurance there in case they cause damages. And that's what the purpose of insurance is. So hopefully, if you are injured by a drunk driver, that drunk driver does have insurance. If they don't, there are other ways to get compensation. I was just going to ask that. How does that work? Well, if they don't have insurance, you hopefully do have insurance. You have something Illinois mandates. It's one. It's not. And not every state does, but Illinois mandates uninsured motorist protection coverage okay. for everybody who has an, an Illinois policy. So, so if someone's wondering, do I have that? If you have insurance in Illinois, you do have un, uninsured uninsured motorists. So, if you are hit by somebody who does not have insurance, you will have bodily injury coverage for that accident. Um, you want to make sure you have the right coverages because if you're injured pretty seriously, you may not have sufficient coverages to cover that. So you want to look at what your limits are. That goes to another insurance issue that uh, we always are dealing with when it comes to, um, automobile drivers and driving on the road and making sure you're protected. You want to make sure when you're you have your car that you're protecting yourself and also protecting yourself in case you get injured or damaged by somebody else who does not have insurance. Because there's a lot of people who do not have insurance who are operating cars. And the reason they don't have insurance is is just a money thing. Mm -hmm. They're low income and they use their money towards other things that they they perceive as more important, whether it's food or childcare or something like that. And they just don't pay the insurance. So you want to make, you want to always, when you you're driving the car, or you get you buy a car to make sure you have good insurance. Make sure you do some review of your insurance companies. Make sure you have sufficient um, liability coverage and other coverages that will protect you. Mm-hmm. What other things do we need to know about drunk drivers on the roadways and how that impacts the the process afterwards in terms of like um, negligence lawsuits, stuff like that? Is that what we're referring to here when we're talking? Yeah. About? yeah. So if they do injure somebody, we claims are brought against their insurance company. If that can't be resolved, then you have to file a negligence lawsuit in, in court. It usually be filed at in the county where it happened. 
um, in the civil court. It's a civil court case. It's usually a personal injury case. There could be uh, property damage cases, too, if a drunk driver causes a lot of property damages. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, Those cases could be brought as well. But most of them are personal injury cases. If they can't be resolved between the insurance companies, then you go to court. And uh, when somebody's driving drunk, it's not an issue so much of liability because it's pretty clear if you go behind the wheel and you're drunk and you cause an accident, it's your fault. Right. Nine out of ten times. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're, you're yeah. drunk and you stopped at a red light and somebody rear-ends you, that 100%. would not be your fault. Right. So then you wouldn't have to worry about it. Right. But, but most of the, then that, that person wouldn't be suing right. for the drunk driver. Hey, we got a question on the phone line, Neil, if you don't mind. Yes. Let's go to Mary. Hey, Mary, you're on WGN. How are you doing? I'm good. What's your question? My question is, how does that relate, or do you have uh, do we have laws or whatever dealing with uh, dri- driving under the influence of cannabis? Oh, okay, so Mary Which wants is so much more common, right? Mary wants to know now that especially cannabis is legal, are there laws against DUIs for cannabis, Neil? And I imagine there are, but I know that's a real murky area, right? Yes, that is a murky area, but uh, driving under the influence does include um, driving under drugs. If mm-hmm. you are not, uh, you're not properly capacitated with drugs, then yes, there is there is laws against that. Um, there are different laws, and it has to do with you know the type of drugs that you take. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how the new cannabis laws yeah. goes into effect with driving under the influence of cannabis, but I do believe that it's still illegal if you are intoxicated on cannabis that you cannot operate a vehicle. Yeah, I'm nearly 100% certain of that. Yes. Go ahead, Mary. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, no I was just going to say, I just read, because I always think about it, that it's 45 minutes uh, into smoking or vape, whatever you do, uh-huh. uh, it, it is impairing, it impairs you, and then it lasts for four hours. Yeah, and I, I think that's a little scary as a driver. Right. I, I mean, it, it's very I think scary. It's scary. Yeah. Yes. No, there mm-hmm. are laws that address being intoxicated or, or um, under the influence of drugs as well as alcohol. Alcohol is the main cause, but yes, if you are um, intoxicated because of drugs, that is illegal to operate a vehicle. All right. It's a great concern, Mary. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. appreciate that. Had a two one nine ask. I live in Indiana. What do you recommend I carry on my automobile policy for liability and uninsured motorist? I don't know if you know off the top of your head if Indiana is one of those states. I don't mean to put you on. Do you want to look into it during the news and answer it afterwards? No, I don't have to you look know- into it. I mean, I I, I think Il- Indiana similar mandatory laws than that Illinois has, but I would say in terms of coverage, that's the same whatever state you live in. You want to look at what type of assets you have. You want to make sure you're protected. Your assets are protected in case you do cause an accident and somebody does try to go after you. Although I say it's rare, it is possible. So if you have, you know, certain assets, you may want to look to make sure you have six figure type liability coverage and six figure type underinsured motorist coverage. I know that a lot of policies have like 100, 300,000 coverage, which is 100,000 per person, 300,000 per accident liability coverage to protect yourself. Um, if you do cause an accident, and then in terms of underinsured motorists, would be the same thing, or uninsured motorists or underinsured motorists. Mm-hmm. Those are two different types of concepts, but very similar. Um, you'd want to have perhaps the, the, the best limits to get is a hundred, three hundred thousand. Uh, the mandatory minimum that most people get in Illinois, because that's what the law requires, and that's you know the most economically feasible for many people is twenty five fifty. Okay, twenty five thousand per person, fifty thousand per accident. That doesn't seem like it's enough. Not so, enough yeah, in twenty twenty two. So I mean, I think that. Generally, 100, 300 are, are, is the number you should look at if you could afford it. And again, it's another economic decision that anybody has to make w- with all their other economic issues. 312-981-7200. If you have any questions for Neil Gainsburg, if you're running out of the car, GainsburgLaw.com, G-A-I-N-S-B-E-R-G Law.com. And we'll continue this conversation after the news here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. 
312-981-7200 is our phone number for any questions for Neil Gainsburg. We're talking about all sorts of things, DUIs, how to get money from someone if they hurt you in one in any sort of situation, I guess, but as it relates to driving. But Neil, we got some more text for laws that should exist but don't as people have texts. So here's from the 773. They say, everything so far that has been suggested is punitive. I like rewarding positivity. With that said, there ought to be a law that if you are caught yielding to merging traffic, you should get a break on your car insurance rates. I and they, you know there's good driver things, but there should be more of that, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. That if you follow the rules of the road, you should get some sort of reward. I forget which country this was in, but they tried this and it worked. They put up speed cameras, but instead of um, well, they did find people if you were going too like way too fast. But also, if they took a pictures of license plates that were at the speed limit, and they entered all of those people for a week into a lottery, and all the fines went to the per- one of the people that was following the laws. So they ticketed people, and let's say they raised twenty thousand dollars in that week from those tickets. Then they'd pick one of the drivers that was going the speed limit, give it to that driver. I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. You want to give incentives so people drive safely. Amen to that. That's very important that everybody should drive safely out there, especially on a beautiful day like this when the highways and the streets are going to be crowded. Right. Don't go to Laura Wacker unless you know what you're doing, people. That's my law. 847 says, make a law. Save the bees. Stop uh, Stop spraying pesticides and herbicides. We need our dandelions. Yeah, we do need our dandelions. They're kind of annoying sometimes in your garden, but they're a, they're a native plant, right? And we're supposed to embrace those sorts of things. So saving the bees. If you've got one, 312-981-7200, we would love to hear from you. All right, we've been talking about DUIs. The infrastructure bill that passed, uh, the bipartisan one, included references to alcohol detection sensors in vehicles. And this has to happen fairly quickly, right, Neil? Yes. So this new infrastructure law um, put into place wording that said that within the next three years, they want to have some sort of alcohol detection devices in new vehicles, that it would not be an optional item, but actually a standard option on any new vehicle that if you were going to operate that vehicle, you cannot be under the influence of alcohol. And there is a consortium of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the car companies um, working together to develop the technology to implement this law. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and what is that technology? Do we have any idea what that could be? Because I know that some people, if you get too many DUIs, isn't there a device that you have to blow into the device of the car to start it? I can't imagine they're going to ask every single person every single time they start their car to blow into some device, right? Right. Well, that's the inner ignition interlock, okay. which is a very standard thing for people who have been convicted of DUIs and a punishment of being charged and convicted of a DUI is that you have to blow into something to have the car start. But uh, they have better technology because that ignition is uh, inter- a device is a very expensive mm-hmm. uh, feature. And I don't think that that would be something that would they'd, they'd want to do and implement more on a um, universal basis. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking at is some sort of like where you, just a breath type of uh, in the air, vapor in the air that the oh, car will have really? technology or a fingerprinting thing. When you put your hand on the steering wheel or on some other part of the car, you, you press a button and it reads your fingerprint for blood alcohol content. Whoa! So those are the two things like some sort, and they're, they're developing this. Again, the automakers and the government have come together to like put together this, this panel to do technology to see if this could work. And there, there's a, there, there's a body together called um, Dad's Driver Alcohol Detection System for Safety, and that's what this is about. 
That is these driver systems mm. so that if you breathe when you get in your, every time you get in your car, you're going to have to breathe and they can detect the alcohol. Or you, or you have put your hand on the, the steering wheel and they could use it, do it through That's your fingerprint. Crazy. But like, I will say, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are designated drivers and then they have a bunch of drunk people in, in their car after the bar and they're going to be having those vapors everywhere. So and that would confuse me. I, I just, I, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to do it. And I'm sure some people that hate Big Brother are going to hate the idea of fingerprinting on your cars. I've also heard of some technology where they might have cameras on the inside of your vehicles that has been proposed that could track your eye movement. Because when you're drunk, your eyes move differently. You react to things differently. Um, I can just hear people now really upset by this. But I think the, 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 their heart is in the right place, right? Right. I mean, the idea is, is again, you know, 10,000 deaths from drunk driving in 2019. And the notion is that like any other safety feature on the car, whether it's the blind spot feature or the lane feature, or all the beeping that now we get on newer cars, this is just another technology advanced safety feature to prevent drunk driving that, you know, it's the, the, the technology is supposed to be to make it as seamless and easy as possible, but there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be issues. And so it's a balance of what's safe and what's, you know, we consider too oppressive on individual rights and freedoms. 630 uh, texted that Dan, his name's Danny. He saw a rollover accident in Aurora this morning. Way too many cars out there today. Yeah, and a nice day like this. And I love seeing it, right? Because it's like, oh, we're back to normal, right? For the most part, Chicago, downtown is back. But yes, everybody, slow down, take your time, pack your patience. There's a lot of people out here today, but we still obviously love seeing increased activity. We had a caller mention this story, and I thought it was so interesting. Uh, Tennessee has passed a bill that requires drunk drivers to pay child support if they kill a parent. The state Senate unanimously voted to pass that bill. It would be called Bentley's Law, uh, and it would require those drunk drivers to pay that support if they kill a minor's parent in drunk driving accidents. And I think on the surface that sounds about right, right? If you kill someone and it's your fault and you were drunk, that you should have to make sure that that child is supported financially, at least maybe till they're 18 years old. And that, that's what the law says till 18. It's unique, right, Neil? Because this is a, a state saying, okay, we're going to punish, we're going to go after beyond the criminal world into the, we're going to punish them and their pocketbooks instead of going through insurance. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of criminal sanctions for driving under the influence. Of 100%. Illinois. I mean, the ignition interlock, as we talked about, uh, you can go to jail for 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 driving under the influence. So there's a lot of issues, but this is one that could perhaps hit a pocketbook of a drunk driver for a long time. And it's it's a novel idea to actually, on the civil side, put some sort of additional punishment on the drunk driver and make sure that that drunk driver has some sort of responsibility for the children of the victim. And it's, it's, it's a novel idea and it's perhaps, it, it'll be interesting to see how it's enforced and how it plays out because if this drunk driver doesn't have any money, he can't pay child support too. But again, the concept is, is unique and novel and I think an idea to perhaps deter further drunk drivers. If you think, okay, if I get under the wheel and I'm going to drink, not only will I go to jail, but I may have to pay child support for many, many years of somebody I don't right. know. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know if that's going to change minds because the people, I mean, there's already a lot of punishments there, but hey, it's one more thing. And at the end of the day, great, it helps these kids. 
who lost a parent. I mean, obviously they'd rather have their parent, but maybe if they were they're counting on them for their finances, okay, someone else has to foot the bill. 312-91-7200. Let's get legal powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. You can we're not done with Neil, but you can uh, reach to out to deal gainsburglaw.com, g a i n s b e r g law.com. Uh, how do you want people to call you? I see uh, on the website 312-471-0709. Is that the best way, Neil? That's the number. You can, uh, my other number is 312-600-9585. Say That's it one more time. 312-600-9585. And who do you help out? Uh, we helped out injured victims of car accidents, injured victims who've been uh, injured because uh, they fell out of stores, slip and fall type cases, just general uh, personal injury cases. We also do insurance issues, too. Um, if somebody has a problem with an insurance company, whether it's life insurance, health insurance, or auto insurance, we help people out in those types of cases. We help the individuals. We don't represent corporations. We help individuals who need some sort of compensation or relief. Something's been done wrong to them, and they're okay. a victim of some unforeseen circumstances. And what I like about you is you uh, you explain things, right? People will call. They have a lot of questions, right? They're going through a lot of stuff. You're happy to kind of chat through it with them, right? Yeah. If anybody has a question, they think that they have, they've been wronged in some way, that they need a lawyer, call our office. We're happy to answer your questions. If we cannot help you, we can perhaps point you to the right resources to get help or to the right direction so that you can address that wrong. But we're here to help people to make sure that the laws are on their side. Exactly. 312-981-7200 is our number. We'll take a break here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. The 630 wanted to know what state was it, the new drunk driving law requiring them to pay child support? It was Tennessee. And the lovely texter said, thank you. Love the new law. I hope it comes to Illinois. Yeah, I don't know. I never heard of that. I probably hadn't thought of it. It was named after, as I'm reading in the article from The Hill, it was... um, in honor of a grandmother whose son was killed in a drunk driving accident along with his fiance and a four-month-old child in 2021. Ugh. And the uh, accident orphaned two kids, five-year-old Bentley and three-year-old Mason. Just And, and really, Neil, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, That's right? why they want this technology. Um, yes, yeah. The technology there to prevent drunk drivers from causing this type of carnage and damage. If the car cannot work because somebody's drunk, then that accident would not have happened. That person could not have operated a vehicle. And that's the point of the infrastructure law and of these new technologies to make cars, highways safer so we don't have awful stories like that and victims and children who lose their parents or parents who lose their children. Right. And I'm someone who, and I think as a country, we're a generally forgiving country. And I feel like there are, nearly everyone can be forgiven for mistakes that they make. But... But in this day and age, knowing what we know, and with the technology at our phone to get a car to come pick us up, yeah, it might cost you $30 for an Uber or a Lyft ride, or maybe more than that. But I don't care if you're in the city or the suburbs. I know some of the rural areas don't have it, and and that's an issue. But for the most part, in our area, if you're listening to us, you can get an Uber or a Lyft to you at any moment. And it might cost you more than you want, but, oh, my God, to save someone's life, potentially, and your own life, I don't know. That drives me crazy, Neil. Well, the the issue is, is that when you're under the influence of alcohol, you don't think rationally. So a yeah, lot of people, you're right. a lot of people will just drive thinking that they're okay when in fact they're not. Make and a plan, people. Right. Exactly. All right. Hey, before we let you go, uh, you have a great article that you posted actually a couple of years ago at Gainsburg Law. What are my rights if I'm hit by a drunk or drugged driver? Walk us through what we should do if if we're in that situation, whether they're drunk or not. I mean, what are, what should we be doing if we even suspect that? 
Yeah, so if you're in an accident with somebody you believe is under the influence, call the police immediately. Make mm-hmm. sure the police come to the accident scene, even if it's a fender bender and there's little damage. There may be damage on your cars later on down the road. You may feel some sort of injury or some sort of pain later on, too. So make sure you get the police to investigate and tell the police that you think this person was driving erratically, this person seems to be under the influence, and it's up to the police then to collect the evidence to see if this person was driving drunk or, or was under the yeah, influence of anything. don't play detective. Don't tell yes, them to walk the right. line. Exactly. You want, to, you, know, you want to stay in your car. You want to pull over to the side. Make sure the other person pulls over to the side. And then once you, once the accident, you leave the accident scene, and whether you have to get medical treatment or whether you have to get your car repaired, you want to, you know, perhaps contact an attorney in Collis, Gainsburg Law, and we could help you protect your rights against drunk drivers. There's a lot of laws out there, both criminally and civilly, that um, affect drunk drivers. Um, civilly, on the side, we want to make sure you get your damages right. Uh, we go after their insurance companies if necessary. We can go after them personally, too, especially as we talked about punitive damages, recklessness. That doesn't happen that often, but that doesn't mean it cannot happen or it should happen. Right. Maybe it would happen in your cir- circumstance. So you want to, you know, if you, you have a lot of rights, there's a lot of laws out there that deal with this type of accident. So at the scene, make sure, the, the one thing you want to do is make sure the police are involved, and then once you, you want to tell your insurance company, too, it's often important just to tell your insurance company whenever you're in an accident uh, right away. You may not have to continue with the claim. You may not have you can withdraw the claim, but at least let your insurance let company know. know. Yes. Yeah. Got to be your best advocate in these situations. How can people reach you, Neil? Uh, they can call us at 312-600-9585 or then go to our website, GainsburgLaw.com. Neil, great to chat with you, my friend. Okay? Thanks, John. Have a great day. Yeah, we'll talk to you again care. soon. More coming up in the next hour of Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. After the break and the news from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom on WG. 720 WGN. Hey, everybody. A very gorgeous Saturday afternoon to you. It's 210. This is Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. And uh, we're on from 1 to 3. And, you know, we move around sometimes due to sports. But this is our home time now, uh, WGN, 1 to 3 here on Saturday afternoons. If you're new to the program, we talk about legal things, as the name would imply. We have a lot of fun along the way. We talk to leading experts. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I'm just a host, much like I'm not a financial advisor, but I host Your Money Matters during the week. But I'm here for you. If you have questions that you hear anyone, any one of our guests bring up, or any of the stories we bring up, or you just want to call and chat about something legal in your world, give us a call, 312-981-7200. We'd love for you to be a part of the conversation. My question of the day today, just to have some fun, is what isn't a law, but it should be? And Kevin Wells, you got one in the newsroom? Yeah, I got one. Okay. Um, if you go to Wrigley Field, okay. and you're a fan, okay. I think I know you cannot going. do the wave. Ah! I know. Seriously, like it's not. We I don't know. do the wave. No wave. Stop doing the wave at Wrigley. It's not a thing. We don't do that here. That's a St. Louis thing, and it annoys people behind you because they're trying to watch the game. No wave. Stop doing the wave at Wrigley. So I've always felt the same way, and I kind of roll my eyes when the wave started. And I think we brought this up on the air. I was on with John Williams one day talking about this, and I think like that is an unwritten rule, right? And maybe it should be written down. But callers and texters were reminding me. What's my problem with it? And I really had to think, Kevin, because I'm like, it's just fans having fun at a baseball game, right? Right. And you know what? They can have fun with it, I, I guess. I know, right? Go, go do it at Guaranteed Rate Field. Okay. And I, 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 so at least you admit, kind of like I do, there's actually no real reason for it. It's just that it's just not done. It looks tacky. And don't do it because you should enjoy the game. And well, that's how I feel. Yeah, the only the only thing I would say is with Wrigley ticket prices being so high too, and, and and certain people who you know can't afford to go to many games who are there trying to enjoy it, if they're doing the wave and it's 
consistently in front of you for an inning, inning and a half. I mean, yeah. when you put that in money standards, I mean, you're going to miss part of the game, or you're you're getting annoyed because you miss a pitch. And I know that 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 gets old, and I just personally, I'm I'm not a wave guy. I'm not either. I uh, don't but, but, I don't think it should be allowed. But our wonderful WGN listeners were wondering why I cared so much. <laughs> They wonder that a lot. If you listen to me and John the other day talking about Russian athletes being banned or not, boy, I was on the losing side of that one. Anyways, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Domati Pongo, who you used to hear on Saturdays at WGN, says, It should be illegal to review an album as a critic if it hasn't been out for more than 48 hours. The best reviews are when you sit and listen to the music for a while. Don't cram out uh, in spins at a desk under deadline and think it's going to be an authentic review. I also think like you should watch a movie twice before you review it as well. Let it marinate a little bit first. Don't cram out critical reviews too early. 312-981-7200. Uh, A15 wants to know, it's because you're not paying attention to the game and it's distracting and looks bad to the players like you're not there for them, referring to the wave. Those are good reasons. And I'm with you, A15. I don't like it. I'm with Kevin Wells. I don't like it. But Iridian just chimed in in my ear and said the wave is fun. So there you go. If Aridian wants to do the wave, everybody at the at the baseball game, and who am I to judge? I used to do it at the like the King County Cougars game. I would actually try and start the wave, but then I would go to Wrigley Field, even as like a I was like a curmudgeon twelve year old. I would say, "Don't do the wave here." But why would I do it at King County Cougars game, but not at Wrigley? But I don't like it. Still, I don't know. Six three zero says, "Oh my God, Kevin, you're acting old and grouchy." Uh, I'm 30. I think you're younger than me. Let the kids have their fun at Wrigley Field. Kevin's off producing the next newscast. I'll make sure to read that for him again, and he probably can hear me in the newsroom. Uh, Yeah, Kevin is a young guy. I'm fairly young, too, but I'm an old curmudgeon when it comes to the wave. Let us know. 312-981-7200. Should we outlaw the wave at Wrigley Field or on the south side? Ridding's already saying no. Uh, I want to know what you think. I'll ask Michael Leonard that, as well as plenty of other things. He's an excellent attorney, and he def- does incredible defense cases for these real high-profile cases in federal court, which is not easy. He's a fascinating guy to chat with, and we'll do that next year on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. Michael, how are you doing here today? Good. Glad to, glad to be back. Appreciate what a, it. What a gorgeous day, man. Oh, it's awesome out there. Uh, I bet you want to be out at Wrigley doing the wave, huh? <laughs> I'm a, first of all, I'm a White Sox guy. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's and then right. secondly, I agree with you. The wave should have been banned about 15 years ago. I'm one of those curmudgeons who sits in his seat and refuses to participate in the wave. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm one of the one percenters who will not do the wave. Maybe our, it's more like 5%. Right. Our news guy uh, is saying the same thing. He says, good man, Michael Leonard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a good reason, though, for it. Like I, I, As I try and come up with the reason why I don't like it, I can't think of it. It just... It's annoying. You're at a professional sporting event. Don't don't do that. Cheer when they do well, and that should be the excitement that you need. Yeah, so. it's it's had its time. Remember, like twenty years ago, it was hot. But oh, like, come on. I mean, it's 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 ran its course. We need a new next best big, yes. big thing, whatever that is. Yeah. I have seen some stadiums that do. Maybe it's college that they do away, but then they split it in two, ah. and then they go double speed or slow motion. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. Now maybe we got something there. At least I'm you're... not that sophisticated. I'm not <laughs> sure if I could if I could do that. So if you have to consult with a sheet of paper to do the wave, then we've already gone past it. That's a problem. All right, Attorney Michael Leonard, um, you're someone that has been in front of federal juries here in Chicago, uh, and and we talked about this last time, or the first time that you were here, about the differences between it. Remind people about, you've gotten a lot of not guilty verdicts, which is pretty rare, right? Somewhat rare, yeah. Um, 
Feel free to uh, brag about yourself. I've given you the authority oh, I, I to do hate, it. I would hate to do that. But yeah, I mean, as you know, the percentage of the feds winning a trial is very high. Mm-hmm. However, in Chicago, I think in recent years and certainly in the last recent decade, that's changed uh, to a to a measurable degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, you know, you know that when you step into federal court in a federal criminal case, the odds are, you know, percentage wise stacked against you. They probably win 80 percent of the time. So if you can keep yourself at 50 percent or even 10 percent, you're, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. And what is that like when you beat the feds? I know I don't know if you look at it like that. If you're like, oh, I'm going to do it, I but do. You do. <laughs> I do. Well, it's, tell us why. Yeah. I think it's that's just, so cool. It's just a joy because you're you're ultimately against sort of the the just the characterization of the man. You know that all the resources. Um, and there's there's a certain um, attitude that goes with that too when you have all the resources and you win all the time. So it's kind of like beating the Yankees, you know. Right. You know. <laughs> so that's kind of the feeling. And uh, you know when you hear those magic words "not guilty" float across the courtroom, it's it's pretty exciting. You go, you you must have a celebration after one of those, right? Oh yeah, I go to those IPA places you were just telling me about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about breweries uh, during the uh, commercial break. No, it, it, that's really cool, and I think that you know obviously people, you know, I think there is a, a collective like you know yeah against the man. Has that always been something about you? As even before you were a lawyer too. Yeah, I think I've always been a little bit of a contrarian. Just ask my wife. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's always been in my bones. And I think growing up, you know, even in Chicago when I was a kid in the suburbs, being a, a Sox fan versus a Cub fan, always kind of you know push pushing the, the uh, a little a little bit. I think I get what you're saying yeah. there. Hey, you know, I wanted to ask about this, and this came up. I actually was golfing this morning with some buddies, uh, six a.m. up at the Arboretum Club in Buffalo Grove, and. I did not shoot very well, and I, I am, we're in the middle of the game, and I hear my friend swearing behind me, and I assume he's just duffed another shot or something, but it was because he was looking at his phone, and he got jury summons. He oh, got it in the mail, and okay. his wife was letting him know, and it got me thinking about jury selection process. I knew we were going to be chatting today. What is the jury selection process from the federal government's perspective for federal cases? Yeah, in federal court, it's quite different than state court. You know, in state court, you get a lot of time as an attorney to really ask a ton of questions, really, really examine the potential jurors, figure out a lot of information about them, maybe get to, you know, indoctrinate them a little bit into your theory of the case. This is voir dire. Voir dire, yeah. I said it right. Hey, I knew that one. To hear, yeah. I'm learning. You've been really studying up, John. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, but in federal court, it's very different. It's much, much more controlled by the judge. Um, They typically, especially since COVID, have a very lengthy juror questionnaire Mm -hmm. that everyone fills out, which has all sorts of data. But ahead of time, ahead of time. But that's kind of generic stuff. You know, where do you live? Who are your kids? You know, have you been convicted of a crime? Do you know people in the military? Do you know people in law enforcement? A lot, a lot of generic questions. And then some are, are tuned more fine-tuned to the case. You know, mm-hmm. let's say it's a healthcare fraud case, there might be some questions about that. Uh, but in general, you're getting a lot of generic information back. You're not, they're not writing a lot about themselves. And then they come in the court and they talk a little bit more about all the stuff they've said. You get to examine them a little bit, really through the judge, about what they've already told you. And then the attorneys are allowed some follow-up, although some judges limit it severely and others give you a little more leeway. But uh, compared to state court, it's very limited in terms of the attorney involvement. Is it just for timing? Do they just want to move things along quicker or do they consider their court system different than the state? one i think a little bit of both i think they want to move it along i think a lot of judges have uh the idea both in state court and federal court that you know you we don't need all this information as attorneys that we have what we need based upon kind of the the 
bread and butter type stuff that they ask for. But I, I don't really think that you can get inside a juror's head very much with, with generic responses and generic information. It's hard if you can't have some sort of dialogue with a potential juror, even if it's a few questions, to, to kind of assess their attitude and mentality. Because as you know, when jurors come into the room, they have all sorts of different agendas and mentalities. Some people want badly to be on your jury. Could be horribly bad for you or horribly good for you, right? right? Or some people absolutely want no part of being there, which could be obviously very bad for you or once in a while maybe good for you. And then there's all sorts of people in the middle. And the funny thing you find out from the defense perspective is a lot of times the jurors that expose themselves and, and say a lot of things about them actually give the fodder to the prosecutors to try to get rid of them yeah, so right. i was like don't don't say that <laughs> you're like yeah. you would have been great yeah I, I hear some lawyers say that a lot of the case winning or losing is done in that process i don't know if you agree with that or not I, or do you get the sense after the jury's picked oh we're gonna have to is like a come from behind victory for this one it's a tough call. In federal court, you always feel like you're up against it. You know, first of all, you're battling the the government's, you know, years-long investigation, whatever evidence they've gathered, and then you're battling a jury system that doesn't give you a lot of time to pick a jury to find out much about them. And and then in federal court in Chicago, it's very different than say if you're at 26 in California. The mm-hmm. jury pool is quite different. Yeah, how do they pick it? Uh, yeah, I was wondering, is it the same as a normal summons, or how does it work? Well, you get you get summoned, but keep in mind that the district is very different. You know, the, the Northern District of Illinois, which is our federal court, goes all the way up to basically the Wisconsin border. Mm-hmm. Goes all the way west out to Rockford, and then you have Rockford Federal Court. It goes all the way over to Indiana, mm-hmm. and it goes real far west. So you you get people who can be very far flung from Chicago, not Cook County residents. Um, could be a largely suburban or rural type of jury. So it's mm-hmm. very different, and it's much less diverse than you would get in state court. That's interesting. Um, let's talk about some of the cases you've been working on recently. You were involved in a case down in St. Louis involving a reality TV star, right? Yeah, just getting involved in that one. Yeah, just just coming in. Okay. Uh, it's kind of an interesting case. Uh, I don't know if you watch the Oprah Network. No, I do not. You're no. <laughs> supposed to say I you love do. Oprah, yeah. though. I mean, yes, I do, Michael. Yes, tell me. Uh, let's tell let's me talk more. more about it. So she had a reality, one of the reality TV shows she had on there was called, uh, I think it's called Welcome to Sweetie Pies, which Sweetie Pies is a, a chain of, not a chain, but a, a group of soul food restaurants, mostly in St. Louis and down south. And um, they're the sort of patriarch, the matriarch of the, of the restaurants is a woman who's about 80, 81 years old. She's a former ike and tina turner backup singer one of the ikeettes oh cool she started this empire really interesting woman great woman and her son uh who also was heavily involved in running the restaurants and on the reality tv show one of the main characters he was charged along with several others for a murder to hire plot Whoa. which involves the nephew of of both of them and so uh, we're just coming in we're going to get the opportunity to try the case down in federal court in st louis so i'm really looking forward to the opportunity have had a chance to talk to the defendant. His name's Tim Norman a number of times. And, uh, you know, really for, at first glance, you, you kind of wonder how he even got charged. So it's going to be uh, a, quite a fun challenge for us. And that's a, I mean, that's, we're talking serious stuff here. I mean, obvi- every case you deal with is serious, but murder for hire, you get to a, a different level of that sort of thing, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. The, the penalties, especially in federal court, are in, in, in this one would include by statute, you know, could be life imprisonment or death. Um, so, yeah, the stakes, the stakes are certainly high. Wow. Is there anything that you do differently with someone that a defendant that maybe people know? Does it does it change the outlook of how you you know go about your case? 
Well, I think you, you still have to do all the things you normally do. You still have to build your theme, build the evidence, build your theory of the case. But the big difference is all the attention that it gets. You know, yeah. So, for instance, you know, we were for a time involved in the R. Kelly case. It's just the, the people that have an interest in the case, the media that has an interest in the case. So everything that you file or say in court or say publicly is be subject to a lot of scrutiny and you know sometimes uh, second guessing of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, but th- that's just the challenge you embrace. And of course, you want to be involved in high profile cases. Yeah, I don't think it was a federal case, but I was watching some of the testimony of Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. and the judge even at the beginning said something like, "Well, this is the most eyes I've ever had in this courtroom," and these are humans, yeah. right? Prosecutors, defense attorneys, judges. That's got to be nerve-wracking. Well, it's, it's definitely going to affect how people participate. You know, even from the juror's perspective, you know, weeding out people that might have negative views based on what they've read, trying to get people in that have positive views from what they've read, you know. But uh, clearly it gets more attention than, than the average case, and certainly more is going to be written about it. Are you someone that thrives on it a little bit, though, too? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing quite like having that uh, the wall of cameras as you walk into a, a courthouse. That's, a, that's always a fun, uh, fun thing to see. Can you tap dance like Billy Flynn in Chicago? Not, or not? quite as good. Not quite as good. More of a break dancer. More of an 80s guy. Yeah. <laughs> really? What are your, some of your favorite <laughs> no, acts? I'm, okay. I'm really not. Okay. Uh, 312-981-7200. We've got any questions. Um, I know you do a lot of whistleblower cases too, right? Or I don't know about how many, but you definitely do them, including one involving the state of Illinois, right? We have about a minute before the news. If you could tee it up and we can continue the conversation Sure. Afterwards. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a minute, but... Yeah, we, we regularly represent on the civil side in trials people who are whistleblowers who are either complaining that their companies is violating the law or bilking the government. So the case that we're going to talk about involves the state of Illinois and their, their vendor payment program and the whistleblower that we, Ooh. that we represent in that one. So it's, it's involves some, some high, uh, profile you know political types and state money so that's always fun you're good at teasing this you're a professional you should <laughs> be I, on this side of the I microphone all the 60 seconds <laughs> no, you did great <laughs> where can people reach you by the way if they're running out of their car if they think that they might need to be represented by you or people that you know sure 312-380-6559 312-380-6559 leonard lawyers.com l-e-o-n-a-r-d triallawyers.com we'll continue our conversation about that whistleblower case and others after the news here on WGN. Hey everyone, it's John Hanson. This is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Michael Leonard is across from me. We need to have a podcast of the conversations we have during the commercial break, Michael. <laughs> I don't know if we can at share At all. least the two of us we listen to. Yeah. Yeah. There'll <laughs> be might, two fans. That might be about it. Let's go to the phone line and let's go to Mark. Mark, you're on WGN. Mark, you got some interesting questions. How are you doing, Mark? Good, John. Thank you for having me on. Love the show. Absolutely. I appreciate it. What's your question for Michael? Uh, well, I love hearing about all Mike's uh, trials and all the trial work he does. But, um, you know, my question is, we were talking earlier about how what should be a law, what shouldn't be a law. Yeah. What, what are some of the unwritten rules or, or considerations that go into deciding whether to take a case to trial, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case uh, versus pleading guilty or, or trying to settle the case? Great question. Great question, Mark. Yeah, I think there's, you know, two two very different sets of considerations. In, in the criminal cases, especially federal, you know, that's one whole animal, and then we'll talk about the civil. But in, in the criminal federal ones, oftentimes the sentences that you face are so outrageous that really it's it's difficult to make the decision whether to go to trial. Um, however, sometimes those outrageous sentences make it easier to go to trial. You know, if, if the idea is that, look, you know, your client's going to get 
10 or 14 or 20 years if they plead guilty and they have you know a small chance of winning a trial whatever that is a lot of guys will say your clients will say well gee you know why don't we go to trial the swing in their and they're right in a lot of instances the swing is not going to be that great you know maybe they get if they lose maybe they get 12 or 24 months more on top of that crazy amount so you could argue that sometimes when the sentences get so crazy it gives you no choice but to do it other cases and there's many more that are in the middle where your client is is really making the same sort of risk benefit analysis you know uh, do i what are my odds of winning and you know what's the statistical probability what's the weight of the evidence against my client in this particular case you know do we really have a good defense that we can take this to the jury and win the case balance against how much time they're going to get right and you know a lot of that is is there's still a lot of uncertainty you know the range that's likely but oftentimes it's hard to guarantee you can't guarantee and it's oftentimes hard to tell the client exactly what you think they're going to get but you know you know a very strong idea of what the range is going to be so making that decision of going to trial in federal court versus playing is, is one of the most excruciating ones you're ever going to make and it's similar to making the decision whether your client testifies in that trial oh yeah um, that's a hard decision oh, too. that's a, that's a crazy one too but and then to mark's question in the civil cases you know you're making a different analysis you're making it over money you know so that's all the relief you can get so if you're rep- representing a plaintiff in a civil case and you're you're analyzing doing the risk benefit analysis, you know, if I go to trial, you know, what's what's my recovery likely going to be if I'm going to win? What are my odds in my in my own view of of losing? What's the possibility of that? You know, try to do a percentage calculation if you can. Again, you're you're really in speculation land and then trying to decide, okay, well if I can get this bucket of money now, with no risk to my client and the client is is happy with that number then let's take it you know then ultimately that's the client's decision right and a lot of them come to a comfort level that gee you know i can get x maybe i could get x plus if i go to trial but i don't want that risk i don't want to get a zero i don't want to get something less that's being offered to me now so i'm going to go ahead and make that decision to take the money and as you know john you know, unfortunately or fortunately, 90, 95, maybe even more civil cases never go to trial. Either right. they get dismissed, they get summary judgment out before trial, or they, or they settle in, in a huge amount of instances. Right. Mark, that's the kind of answer you get here on Let's Get Legal, all right? You asked a good question, and you got a good answer. Thanks for calling, my friend. Thanks so much, John. Love the answer. Uh, love listening to both of you on the radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I bet every client at some point goes, well, tell me what you think. Do we got a shot? Do they ask you that straight up? And then how do you balance that answer? Like, could you just give an honest assessment and try and keep any of your personal thoughts on it? Or do you, do you give them like an honest, like, or here's the percentage of what I think yeah. we could have. You, you can't give them a percentage. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's impossible to give a percentage. But you just lay out, whether it's civil, whether it's criminal, you lay out the, the points and the facts, the evidence in their favor. What are the huge you know, holes or Achilles heels to your case? And then, you know, what, what the jury is going to be like, what, what your jurisdiction and judge is like. And you give them a really thorough, honest assessment of the evidence, you know. And, but in federal criminal cases, I, I find oftentimes you just, you just don't have a, a choice. It's worth the risk um, because what they're facing oftentimes is, is, is harsh. And, right. and no one really wants to say, yeah, I'd, I'd rather just take those years and not have a chance of winning. But there's other cases where, you know, it, it's the case is somewhat indefensible. Yeah. You know, that, that happens. For sure. Another good question coming online. If you want to throw those on again, we got Rob on WGN. Hey, Rob, how you doing this afternoon? Uh, doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, for sure. What's your question? You know, I was just wondering. You know, what makes a good whistleblower case? I know Mike was talking about 
whistleblowing and fraud and stuff like that. Like, how do you know when you got a good one and when to call Mike about it? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like, how do you know if it's something that you think needs to be brought forward as maybe I want to be that whistleblower? How hard is that, Michael? It's it's a tough decision to become a whistleblower oftentimes because, uh, unfortunately, and somewhat surprisingly, the, the backlash you get from your peers in the company or in the organization that you work or the political entity is sometimes very harsh. I mean, we've had whistleblowers that... You know, a good example is we represented a couple who was down in Florida, worked for a giant, one of the pharmacy giants, a, a, a what was called a PBM, mm-hmm. and they decided to become whistleblowers because they thought some serious things were going on that they thought were wrong. For instance, uh, reusing return prescription drugs, that's, that's a big one, and there was other things where, you know, by way of phone calls, you know, the employees were changing people's prescriptions or adding to them or deleting them. So they decided to, to, to make the hard choice, even though they'd been working for the company for, you know, 10, 15 years to come forward and be whistleblowers. And so they, they thought that, you know, so, sort of naively that, you know, everyone would rally around them. Right. All their friends and colleagues would say, hey, finally someone stood up to, to the company. And the story got a lot of press down in the Florida papers when it when it first came out, and and literally they walked in the next day and they were getting that old cold shoulder, like zero, literally nobody would speak to them, and that's how it went for the rest of their employment. So wow. it's not always that these, stark because right. because a lot of times you do have a lot of people that support what you're doing, and they're they are afraid to come forward, but they actually will come and support what you're doing. So in analyzing whether you want to take on a particular whistleblower case. It's not so much the whistleblowers themselves, you know, it, it's really, are there allegations, do they stand up? You know, because what happens in every whistleblower case is that the big law firms who are, get hired to defend the companies, they will attack the whistleblowers. They'll say, oh, well, you're a liar, you did this, you got the speeding ticket in 1974, <laughs> you know, you had a they're sexual harassment. You know, they'll do anything they can yeah. to attack their credibility. And usually it has absolutely nothing to do with the allegations, right? right. So the, the first and foremost, you got to make sure, is it a solid case that you can win? Are the allegations good? Is it really fraud? And unfortunately, in a civil case, you actually have to look at, is it monetarily worth it? Because you might have a great whistleblower case or maybe something going on that's horribly wrong, but there's really no way to recover any money, which is really the only remedy you have. Sometimes you can just right the wrong, but it's tough for people to get behind that if they can't be rewarded in some way. And that's why we have whistleblower laws to yeah. incentivize people to come forward. I'm kind of confused on, like, I, I know what a whistleblower is. Um, if I had something, and I don't, this company or any company, but if WGN I did, does no, nothing wrong. Nothing. Yeah. Not a thing, of course. But let's say I did, is it a matter I need to call a lawyer first? And I'm just reminded of the episode of The Office where Michael Scott tries to declare bankruptcy and he just goes into the office and says, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> what do you, you don't just go on to Michigan Avenue and say, I'm a whistleblower. Like you and your lawyer would come forward and issue some sort of case. Like there's actually like a case uh, or an investigation that's launched. How does it yeah, work? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple different types of whistleblowers. So oftentimes we'll see on TV where it may be someone who's coming forward and you know, is going before Congress or something like that, or just going on TV and, and talking about some horrible thing that's happening out there that they want to write like that wrong. Like a press conference. They yeah, just... they want to write that wrong. But, you know, in terms of being a lawsuit, it has to fit in a certain bucket. Right. Okay. So there are these what called QUITAM, Q-U-I-T-A-M statutes, okay. right? I'll try to remember that Otherwise one. Otherwise known as the False Claims Act. So we have those at the state level in Illinois and at the federal level. So if you can show in those kind of cases that your company is ripping off a governmental entity, right? These are 
laws that go back to Abraham Lincoln's time. Mm-hmm. So if you can show that your company's ripping off the government, you can recover money in the name of the government. And the great thing is you get a kicker. You get up to 30% of the money. Are you kidding? Of course. That's why, that's why, people, incentive, that's yeah. why people do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a huge incentive. And then and there's other kind of whistleblower cases that you, that you hear about, which are sort of a different animal where you're working in a company and they're violating the law and they're doing something wrong. And then you report it maybe internally or externally, and then you fire you, and then you have a case because they fired you for bringing that yeah. violation of law. Forward. You have to be harmed in some way. To you don't. Bring you it. don't have to be harmed, but you can. You just have to show that your company is violating the law. But yeah, to to have a, that kind of case, you'd have to be retaliated against by being terminated. Right, and then you could bring that case. Interesting. Hey, Rob, that was another long answer. Thanks for calling, my friend. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I forgot that Rob Too was long, there. John? Too no, long, No, no, it's great. I just feel bad <laughs> that Rob was just sitting there as we're chatting on here. So entertaining, though. Yeah, it was. No, it really, this is fat. We're going to ton of text people like, this is so fascinating. we got to take a break, and then let's talk about that whistleblower case okay, before the end will. of the show here. We on, will. On let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. We've been teasing this whistleblower case. We talked about whistleblowers. What are you working on? So we just unsealed one, meaning uh, some of these whistleblower cases that we talked about earlier, they're about state money. Mm -hmm. So when you file them, they have to be filed under seal, meaning secretly. So Mm -hmm. you know about it. The Illinois Attorney General's office knows about it, but the defendants don't know about it. Oh, okay. So this case just recently came out of seal. I don't know if you know, if you remember, Illinois set up this program, which I think is kind of crazy, but it's called the Vendor Payment Program. Mm -hmm. So you know how Illinois owes people who are vendors lots of money, right? Right, because they stopped paying or paid them way less than they were supposed to for a long time. So they came up with this concept where they come up with this vendor payment program where a certain few companies, there's like five of them, could purchase the receivables, meaning if you're a vendor... That was owed money by the state. Okay. And let's say let's say you're owned hundred grand. Okay. One of these companies would step in and they'd say, Hey, we'll give you ninety grand now, and then we'll give you the other ten percent when the state pays us all the money. Right? So it's like a reverse collector. Yeah. So it's good. And on one hand, it's good. You got you got vendors paid right. more, more promptly. But the, but the crazy thing about it is they the companies that stepped in and paid these bills. They still allowed them to collect millions or tens of millions in late fees and penalties and interest. So instead of saving the state money, it costs them hundreds of millions of dollars. More, right. More. So the case we have is where one of these companies who was paying the vendors, what they did is they set up a couple of other, other companies, one in Florida and one in, I think it's Puerto Rico. And the idea, the allegations are they did that so that when they got all this money from the state, they could assign it to these other companies and avoiding paid income tax on the money they were getting from the state. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So so that's just kind of kicking off. And there's some, I won't mention the names, yeah. there's sort of high profile political types that are only involved with those companies. So that'll, that'll make the depositions fun. Yeah, when when will we ever know about that? When they get a, like, is it when it becomes in, in court? That's I, where we would learn. Yeah, I mean, I wish if we it could, I wish we could bring them into the booth for their depositions, job, but we don't we don't get to do that. <laughs> but yeah, we will. Yeah, there'll be court appearances. But as you know, you know, in civil cases, there's there's really not that much to talk about until you go to trial. Okay, man, that's fascinating. That's a tease. It's a tease we don't even know if we'll ever get the answer to, yeah, Michael. Yeah, we will. Well, keep having me back, and eventually <laughs> I'll have an answer. Right, exactly. We have we have about two minutes left. Anything else you want on the, the latest on the Eddie Johnson case? I know uh, he's... Yeah, we're, we're slowly moving forward. Um, you know, we've taken the plaintiff's, Miss Donald's deposition. She's the one who brought the allegations again, Mr. Johnson. So we had a, a long seven-hour deposition of her to examine her allegations. Mm-hmm. And then he was actually just deposed yesterday. So he had to sit for seven hours and answer all the questions. And as you remember... 
that case is, you know, based on what we say, and Eddie Johnson says, and he said publicly, a consensual relationship for right. a couple of years, unfortunately, outside each of their marriages. And now the plaintiff has turned around and sued him and said that it's not a consensual relationship. So right. someday that will probably go to trial here in Chicago. Right, because outside the marriage, well, some people may frown on that, not illegal. Correct. So, right. you know, you can have a sexual harassment case, but the question in a sexual harassment case is, it was it unwanted, was it unwelcome, or was it consensual? Yeah. You know, consensual adults, obviously, even if they're married, unfortunately, can still do those things in the workplace, but you don't have a case. Right. Fascinating stuff, Michael. We'll talk again soon. LeonardTrialLawyers.com, and uh, you can call uh, the office there at Leonard Trial Lawyers at 312-380-6559. Give you like 30 seconds. Who should be reaching out to you? Everybody, John. Everyone should <laughs> pick up the phone. Oh, no. So traditionally, we represent individuals who are facing federal criminal charges or investigations, and obviously also people who are charged with state crimes. That's our, that's our criminal practice. And then probably a, a quarter of our practice is representing individuals who are suing, oftentimes large corporations or small corporations, for whistleblower-related things or employment discrimination, things of that nature. So we, we, uh, we focus on, on the criminal but do a, a lot of civil trials as well. Can I keep this card, by the way? You can. Pass, copy it, pass it out to your <laughs> friends. You know, Because if I'm ever in this situation, I feel like you're the pit bull that I want in my corner. I hope so. I hope yeah, so. That, man. That's our job. Yeah, but you just like, I, I don't want to say you're itching for a fight, but you like taking these cases on. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, apart from hanging out with your family and friends, having a beer, trying a case is probably one of the greatest joys in life. That's awesome. Michael Leonard, thanks for hopping on. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, John. That was Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, and that is going to do it for today. And we'll be back next week and every Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock here on WGN. Always appreciate you listening. Great phone calls, great questions today, and I know we're going to have an awesome show next week as well. And Your Money Matters, I'll be back on Monday afternoon, early evening. As always, at 6 o'clock, we do that show Monday through Thursday. All right, news next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom here on WGN.